2: This is the Greg Bedard Patriots Podcast with Nick
1: Cattles. Welcome into the Greg Bedard Patriots Podcast. I'm John Zanis filling in for Nick Cattles, and this, of course, is Greg Bedard. What's up, Greg? Hey, what's going on, John? Not much. Uh, not much at all if you're the, well, quite a bit if you're the Patriots. Uh, they, <laughs> they lost Nick Casario. We'll talk about that. Uh, he went to the Houston Texans. Uh, a loss. We'll talk about how big a loss uh, it could be some other personnel shuffling as well. well. Talk about the future of Josh McDaniels. Podcast, as always, is brought to you by betonline.ag. And as always, we want you to subscribe, rate and review the podcast. We're going to remind you that several times throughout, but we want to get into it first. Greg, before we talk about Nick Casario, it looks like you're stirring the pot a little bit here. Uh, <laughs> you, you've gotten yourself evidently. Yeah, you've gotten yourself in a bit of trouble. Uh, and. Uh, It's Chase Winovich. You've upset Chase Winovich. Do you feel bad about that? (laughs) It it comes with the territory, especially with with the territory. Yeah. Yeah. So anybody who's listened, uh, all of you here, read Boston Sports Journal. You listen to this podcast. You follow Greg Bedard. You know that he's been critical. And, Greg, you've been critical of Winovich all year. A bit of a freestyler, maybe a showboater, some vibe that – Uh, There's people on the team who think he's kind of a me guy, you you know, yamming it up. I I know one of uh, one of your uh, readers sent you photos of him kind of posing for cameras and this and that. And so there's been issues throughout the year and you've written about it a a few times. But uh, apparently uh, something you wrote a couple of days ago uh, came across. Uh, or was presented to him uh, in a radio interview, and he responded he wasn't too happy about it. But first, why don't you uh, read what it is that you wrote about him and elaborate a little bit on it, and then we'll play the clip from Winovich.
2: Okay, so you're absolutely correct. I've been critical of him all year, and I'm not critical of players unless I have reason to believe that. And and uh, I wrote about him, uh, I'm looking, November 17th, I wrote Chase Winovich states his case with a monster game, but will Bill Belichick ever really trust him? And I went into sort of a deep dive – on chase and it was about at that time it was about people couldn't figure out all right well he's playing well he rushes the passer well why isn't he playing more and people just couldn't figure that out so it was that that story was about that this story was it was basically my breakdown after the uh the Jets game that I do at boston sports uh for those of you who aren't members um I don't like you very much um but uh just to give you a taste of what what you get over at BSJ is you get deep dives from me off of every game where I rate um, all the positions and, um, you know, insight that you won't get any place else. And so for this one, I didn't really write on the game because who cares, but I decided to use this opportunity to look at, get an update on where some of the youngest players stand going into 2021. And some of it was my own observation from the film, from this game, from the season, some of it, though, was also from, uh, let's just say, well informed stuff. Uh, sources. You've heard. Yeah. yeah. That that know what they're talking about. And uh, so for Chase Winovich, he was the guy I let off with because he did have, he had another monster game against the Jets. They let him play uh, more, and he was great. He was my player of the game in the game. And I thought he was tremendous. So this is what I wrote about Chase had a monster game against the Jets, which we also saw earlier in the season in between just a sub-rusher role. Why? Because he can't be counted on on a down-to-down basis to do his job on the edge, and I'm not sure the team will ever trust him to do that. He's almost certain to have competition at the position next year. There's also the issue of his mouth, which is a concern internally because he rarely thinks he's wrong and is a bit of a locker room lawyer. In parentheses, I wrote, sounds like someone around here who writes about football, meaning me. Almost like it takes one to know one. Right. Uh, I floated moving him to inside linebacker, but that has been shot down because because of the lack of faith he will consistently. Uh, because of the lack of faith that he will consistently do the right things within the scheme, and so Zolak and Bertrand show asked Chase about that. We had the audio.
1: Okay, so I'll play it for you now. Uh, this was uh, with. Mark Bertrand asking Chase Winovich about what Greg Bedard said about him.
0: Are you aware of Greg Bedard's report in the last couple of days about you and your status with the team? I mean, that was kind of, yeah, I'm aware of that. That was a little, I mean, I wasn't going to bring it up, but I mean, that's we a little, com- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we're here for. I, first off, I don't even know who, Yeah, Greg Bedard is. And secondly, I, I don't really, I'm not exactly sure why he's, slandering my name in that sense and making it seem like, uh, you know, there's I'm, I'm a problem or, you know, I, I really was a little confused. Uh, he doesn't even quote anonymous people. He just he just speculates on rumors and, and stuff he's heard. Uh, it just doesn't make sense. Um, and I, I think it's, it's a little uh, unfair. But, you know, a, a people are allowed to have their own opinions. And uh, that's part of the whole, you know, control what you can control. Um, you know, I I try to operate every single day from the mindset. You know, I'm going to be the best human I can be, the uh, best human I can be. You know, and treat the game and you know, just everything around me with respect. So I don't know, I don't know who's making, uh, you know, saying these things to him, or if he even has a real informant, or he's just making it up. Uh, but I, I think it's pretty cheap
1: journalism. Wow. So first off, I don't I don't believe him, Greg, because every Knows who Greg Bedard is. Number yeah. two, well, actually, that yeah, <laughs> number two, you're well, not, making it, you're not ta- making it up, you're not taking making it up. You're not just going to say something, uh, you heard it. Uh, obviously, nobody wants to hear that. I mean, this is the game that gets played. Uh, when people have unfavorable things said about them from an anonymous source, it's easy to say in this world we're living in that it's fake news, it's made up. There's no reason to make this up. I don't think you gain anything from saying that Chase Winovich uh, is a locker room lawyer or any of the things. You're hearing it from people who are giving you the information and you're simply reporting it. But your thoughts on what he said?
2: Uh, Yeah, let's sort of take it piece by piece. Number one, he doesn't know who I am. A, that does not surprise me um, because I am not – Uh, let's say, let's say I'm not omnipresent on Zooms, um, with the media. Uh, you know, I, I'm not on them a lot. Um, I don't ask a lot of questions. Um, and I, you know, I'm not one of these reporters who tries to develop a relationship with every player on the team. I certainly have relationship with, with players on the team, but a lot of times, uh, John, um, I go out of my way to avoid relationships with players on the team for this reason that, that. So I can observe and criticize them and not have any thoughts about like, well, is he not going to like me anymore or this or that? Cause I've been, I've been burned by that too many times in the past. Right. That you try to get close to uh, a player and they turn on and, and you, you know, you think you have their confidence, but as soon as something bad happens, they turn on you. And so I just try to, as much as possible, I try to uh, stay at arm's length so that I am free, that i have no, feelings about a player personally. That's why, you know, I don't, you know, uh, I, I wouldn't, you know, do, do off-field work with a player and things like that. So sure. that, that does not surprise me. I've certainly asked Chase questions, and uh, we've certainly had discussions. But um, having a personal relationship with the players is not something that I've ever cared about. And, in fact, I try to I, – I go out of my way to avoid. Um, secondly, um, <laughs> slander is a uh, – that's a very strong <laughs> – that's a very strong ac- accusation uh, from Chase. And, and you know, as far as what he talks about with, um, you know, he, there's no anonymous sources in there. So, you know, whether it's his opinion or whatever, um, let me just say this. Uh, I don't write anything that strongly on a player um, unless I get it from good sources. And I do not put, I do not source a lot of my information because I don't want people to know. Like, re- especially when covering the Patriots, you have to be very careful about covering your tracks and where you're getting stuff because there are people there in the building whose part of their job is to root out sources. Yeah. And I am not going to burn my sources and I'm not going to make it any easier to identify them. So oftentimes if, if I know... And this goes for not just about the Patriots, whether it's about the draft or the NFL. If I know the information that I'm getting is good from a source that I have a long history with, then I just weave it in as background. Um, I do not make it apparent where I'm getting it from team sources. And trust me, Belichick, you put team source in there. Um, that's going to, that's going to enable a lot of people inside the building. So, uh, so I do not put that in there. Um the next thing that I wanted to say was, um, look, basically basically, my criticism of Chase Winovich, uh, which, trust me, is in line with the internal discussions about Chase Winovich, are twofold. Number one, he has not risen to being an every-down player at all. This season, he had a prime opportunity early on in the season. He did have a really good game early. I forget which game it was. Um, and then he did not play a lot, and everybody was wondering why isn't he playing? Why isn't he playing right? He it, that continued throughout the season. We we have ended the season. Chase Winovich's role on this team was as a situational pass rusher, he was never an all every down player. That tells you everything you need to know right there about how the team views him
1: on a linebacker deficient team, so he didn't yes. even need to be he. He didn't need to be exceptional to be an every-down player. He had to be passable because the other people they were putting in there in his stead were not pro bowlers by any means. So uh, He's playing behind John Simon, Shalik Calhoun
2: when he's healthy, Brandon Copeland when he was out there. Like He's playing behind a whole bunch of people. And that tells you whatever whatever you see on the field, whatever role a player is used in on the field, that's where the coaches, Bill Belichick, Especially on defense, Bill Belichick sees that player, and he, in in his eyes, Chase Winovich never rose to an every down player. Why? I asked the question why, and what I've been told, and this is this you can see this on film. He is not consistent on the edge. He can he has not been. They do not have confidence in him that he is going to do the right things on an every day every down basis, and so. That's where that comes from. Number two, as far as his personality, certainly I've noticed things. Um, there was, you know, mugging for the camera, and that was for uh Adam Adam Richens, who shoots for us. Oh, he'd right PSJ. Um, the uh, every game I'm at, basically I look to the sidelines after possessions. Oftentimes Winovich is 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 in animated discussions with Gerard Mayo or somebody else. Most of the time it's Mayo. We saw him earlier on in the season. There was a, I think a penalty. Yeah, there was a penalty. And then all of a sudden he comes off the field and he's talking to Bill Belichick. And guess what? Chase Winovich is doing a lot of the talking. So that led me to ask certain people, what's the deal with Chase Winovich? Like every time I look to the sideline, he's talking to Gerard Mayo. And the response I get is that basically he's been a pain in the rear end. Now, That doesn't mean that he doesn't have a future here. It doesn't mean that he's not a good football player. He just, you know, he's a different type of cat around here. And that's fine. Maybe he opens up Belichick's eyes. But you combine his unreliability on the edge to this point, and who knows what he does next year. He's going to be probably going to be given the opportunity to do that. Or as a possibility he could be traded where they just like, you know what, enough of this guy. Let's trade him to a team where – his upfield ability is 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 a better fit. It's not a fit for us right now. Could happen, but um, but for him and, and Chase is is welcome to contact me anytime if he wants to ask me any questions. Um, any charges of this being clickbait or attention grabbing? Chase Winovich is not in the headline. Uh, this section was not. Uh, available to anybody who doesn't subscribe to BSJ. This is just information for BSJ subscribers. So I did not do this to get attention. I do. I did this to inform my readers, which is what I try to do all the time, which is give them an accurate uh, picture of where Patriots players, where the team is at this point in time. Um, so Chase is look, I'm entitled to my opinion. Um, Chase is entitled to his opinion, but I could just tell you that my information is rock solid. It is accurate. And if he's if he's not hearing this internally or he doesn't understand um, where he stands with the team and what he needs to work on and, and where they would like to see him better, then he needs to bring that up with his position coaches. But trust me,
1: 100%, these are issues with the team. So if you're a fan right now, uh, your number one concern is, and you said you don't know what it holds, uh, but is he, you see the plays, you see the splash plays, you see a game like he had against the jets and uh, you see the pressures, you see a couple of sacks and you think, Oh, thank goodness. We got one of those guys. Yep. They're really concern right now is can chase Winovich be an actual impact player on a team that has very few. So yep. do you think based on the pain in the ass component and the lack of discipline that he can somehow overcome these things and be more than useful an actual asset
2: i think so and and john if, if i were the patriots and i don't know what they're going to do and and but i can tell you they're going to have a lot more competition on the edge like the edge could be one of the places that they make a big splash in free agency, so, you know, somebody in the front seven. Right. Um, so he he is going to have competition next year. I can almost guarantee that. Um, but it, it, if I were on the Patriots, I just – I think he's so talented, and I do think – I think he's a, he was a really good draft pick. There were these concerns about him being a locker room lawyer and a millennial and a me type, and you see that. I mean, you know – He makes a sack and he's celebrating going off the field. He deflected a pass the other day and he's hitting his hands all the way off the sideline to make sure people know that he got a piece of that pass. Like this, that's fine. Like it's just, it's unusual for here. But I will say that I think he's, I think he plays extremely hard. I think he has, he's, he's, he's got a, a really good pass rush, a good feel for pass rush and the timing. Um, He chases down plays from the backside. Um, If I'm the Patriots, I am giving this one more go. And and also, let's factor in that this was his second season, robbed of an offseason, where you're going to get a lot of coaching, not a lot of coaching on the field. Maybe that's what Belichick was talking about, about how the virtual stuff just just did not match up to in-person and on-field time, which they lacked this year. Maybe he was talking about Chase. It could very well be the case where Belichick and Mayo and other people think, you know what? If we had that guy in our room and we're screaming at him in week three and on the field, maybe he gets it and he's better. If I'm them, I come to camp, I say, all right, I chalk up second season to COVID. He comes back next year. We get all the meetings, all all the practice time, and we try to harness it and we see how it is in camp and if he's not getting it if he's not a three down player for us then maybe it's time to move on and and go in a different direction but i think he's so talented he's smart he gives great effort he's good at what he does i think it is worth the investment for them to give it another real good go here in 2021 i think that's what they'll do but who knows
1: well you could do a lot worse with a with a third round right third round pick yeah, you could do a lot worse for the third round oh, pick yeah. than, a, than a very strong situational pass rusher. If that's all yep. he ends up being, that's sure. still a win. So yep. that's fine. I think the 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 reason uh, it, it was highlighted this year his deficiencies is because they lacked depth. They lacked so much depth that you were hoping that, well because of all of his physical gifts and his motor and his ability to do certain things really well, can he do more? And the answer this year, it turned out to be no. So, yeah, we'll see what happens going forward with Chase. We have a huge discussion to talk about here with the personnel shuffling. I think, Greg, uh, before we do that, let's take a pause, let everybody know at home about our sponsor, BetOnline.ag. And then we're going to get into uh, Nick Casario leaving and what it means for the rest of uh, the, the, the the Patriots personnel, whether anyone else is out the door. Uh, but, yeah, uh, fire away with the with the sponsor.
2: Yeah, Nick. There's, you know, there's a ton of great football coming up, <laughs> along with the other sports. I mean, you know, the Celtics uh, got a win last night. They're hot. College basketball is going on. You got the bowl championship series. Ohio State Fly and Alabama. Ups. You have six NFL playoff games this weekend. I mean, I don't know if you, about you guys, but I, I kind of want to get some money in on the action and have a little bit of fun myself. And there's a, the only the only place. That has you covered. The only place that we trust tr- trust is betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use that promo code CLNS50 for your 50% off welcome bonus. Uh, we'll get into probably the lines on the games coming up. Uh, but, you know, on the football game, you know, the, the the one couple of the games that I'm looking from the lines on betonline. Uh, Bills are favored by six over the Colts. I think that's a little rich. I know it's come down a little bit. Tampa, uh, eight over the Washington football team. And the Saints, ten and a half over the Bears. Those are big spreads for opening weekend. Yeah. And, and, and I think there's going to be a lot of action on those games. I think people should get in on it. I'm going to get in on it. So don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action. Don't forget to use that promo code CLNS50 to receive a 50% off welcome bonus with your first deposit. Bet online, your
1: online sportsbook experts. Yeah, and we are going to try to rip through picks yep. at the uh, end of the show here, so we'll get back to it. And again, betonline.ag. The spreads obviously updated by the minute, so we'll pull those up and we'll we'll power through some of that stuff. Let's get to the Nick Casario departure. Uh, I guess question. Let's fold two into one. Did it surprise you? And again, people now know the story. Uh, the Texans hired a consulting firm to go through uh, the top GM candidate candidates out there. They came up with five, I believe, uh, or four. They came up with a list that Nick Casario was not on. And then Nick Casario got the job. So <laughs> how did... You know, and we know the, we know about the Jack Easterby situation and it certainly sounds like he made a massive play there. Uh, and we'll talk about how that factors into uh Casario's Texans experience. But first off on the Patriots side of things, how big a loss with this? And are you surprised that he, that he left? What, what led to it?
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, it's a pretty big loss. I mean, you know, you lose 20 years of a guy who ran the personnel department and, um, you know, organized all that, and and uh, you know, and look, he also helped with coaching. He was, he was in the coaching box on game days. He's on the field before the games. He he helps out a lot in practices. So he was almost like personnel slash coach. So, yeah, there's there there's a lot they're going to miss there. Um, you know, but look, uh, you know, it, it all depends on what's left after Nick. Now, the the big thing, what's interesting, John, is that. Before Nick was leaving, and I don't know if this factored in, but before he left, I was hearing from people that Dave Ziegler, who is is assistant director of player personnel, right, uh, and Elliot Wolf, who's a scouting consultant this year, uh, former Packers assistant GM, Cleveland assistant GM, uh, Ron Wolf's son, uh, who came on with the Patriots this year. Uh, I had heard that those two names, Ziegler and Wolf, were going to be more pro- have more prominent voices going forward, and I didn't think to ask the question because I'm a moron. But at the time, Why? once that was over, and I'm typing, yes. I'm like, "One." And once I heard Casario was leaving, I was like, "Wait a minute, that's weird." So was Casario? Did he leave, or was he a little bit pushed out, or maybe? Uh, maybe freed up to leave. I, You know, I, I don't know. I don't have a definitive answer on that. Um, if Dave Ziegler is here, then I feel pretty good. Um, he is on the dance card with the Broncos, a team that he previously worked with. Uh, so the fear is that he's going to be named Broncos general manager. Uh, if that's the case, uh, <laughs> I have worked worries about the Patriots department. I mean, I I think a lot of Elliot Wolf, uh, I go back a long ways because I I covered the Packers way back when. I know Elliot. I know his talents. I know what he's capable of. I think he does have a very good eye for talent. But when you're talking about him all of a sudden ascending to the top of the Patriots personnel structure, if that indeed happens, uh, you're talking about a guy who's only been in the Patriots system for one year. And that includes, all right, Well, what is, what's Belichick looking for? What's their grading system? And all of a sudden, you know, and all that entails. And now all of a sudden, Elliot Wolf is having to funnel that down to the scouts, the pro scouts, the college scouts, the other people, the cross checkers and things like that. And it's just, all right, well, how's that all going to work? It can't work well. If Ziegler leaves, Ziegler's plan A. And hopefully that happens. And maybe with Casario
1: leaving, maybe that entices him to stay. That's maybe. my question. Is is the Broncos' GM job more attractive than the Patriots' GM job to him if he knew he what? had it?
2: I mean, the thing is, it hasn't been a GM job since Pioli was here. And that's right. also part of the issue is, you know, Nick Casario was here. So Pioli left in 2009 or uh, January 2009 for the Chiefs. And first of all, Belichick offered a flowery uh, statement when Pioli left so far uh, in three or four hours, there's been nothing from Belichick on, on, on Casario. So that's interesting, but that was a big thing with, with Casario here is Pioli got the vice president of player personnel title after one season as director of player personnel. Nick Casario was director of player personnel from 2009 on and never got the title. And so that's very much if you look at the way he handles his coaches. You know, we all know uh Bill O'Brien did not get the offensive coordinator gig for a year or two after he was here. Brian Flores, I don't think was ever technically defensive coordinator. Still here. no
1: DC, right?
2: Yeah, and there's still no DC. And, you know, McDaniels is offensive coordinator, obviously, but normally it's you don't get those titles unless you earn them in Belichick eyes. Now, is this semantics? Did Belichick just say, you know, we're, we're not doing the VP of whatever at, once Pioli leaves? Um, you're And you're not a general manager because I'm the general manager.
1: Right. Um, so maybe it's semantics. It could be. I don't know. But it's See, just it's a long time I. to dangle the carrot if it's going to be an incentive. You know, I mean, he was here <laughs> yeah. long enough where I don't know how much more you're going to earn. So again, whether it's semantics or a faith in his ability to do the job or, maybe they just viewed him as replaceable and or as you said wanted to get others more involved if he got shoved out the door a little bit it makes sense why he would take this houston gig which doesn't yep. seem that great given everything that we've learned about it with the Easterby presence and having mcnair's ear it sounds messy over there I, it doesn't sound like an awesome obviously he was on there you know list last year and the Patriots didn't let him go, but. And the time um, before also that I learned
2: the other day, they actually came for him before that as well. And Belichick also shot that down. Yeah.
1: Right. So you've got, let's say if Ziegler is plan a and he holds, is he the guy you, and so you've mentioned before in terms of the player personnel and the evaluation, what bill may be a little set in his ways at this point where he's overruling the, uh what the scouts are telling him what the personnel department is telling him uh on players and he's kind of going with his guys whether it's uh guys he's gotten recommendations from his college coaching buddies or whomever and so y- you've talked about before on this podcast and i know you've written about it the need for that strong voice of someone who can say nah man bill this is the guy you have to trust me on this it- Is Ziegler that guy? And if he's not that guy, does that guy exist? Or does Bill even want that guy?
2: Yeah, it's all good questions. I don't have a really strong answer on, I don't know Ziegler that well. I don't know his personality. I do wonder if Casario not getting the VP or GM title had to do with the fact that maybe in his eyes, Belichick's eyes, that Nick never made a stand or he never became a strong enough voice to earn that title. Right. Maybe that was part of it, and and there is a lot of concern behind the scenes that that Casario was not a strong enough voice to counter Belichick at times, and to basically like, you know, even though you know I've asked people, I've been like, well, you know, you know, like Bill going rogue on some picks, uh, like early in last year's draft and things like that, and where the Patriots were, I think going into the draft they wanted to target more offensive help early and what does belichick do he spends the first three picks on defense and i think i asked the question of somebody at the time i said well is nick did nick do anything is nick gonna do it? and they're like what is it gonna do tackle him like right. it's bill and so i don't i i don't know i think bill would like another voice i don't know i think he maybe he wouldn't acknowledge that but i think i think the Patriots definitely need somebody, and maybe this this comes into play with, say, a Pioli or Dimitrov or a Bob Quinn who they could recycle, former Patriots personnel people who are out of jobs right now that could come in. I mean, Pioli certainly would be a strong foil to Belichick. Uh, does, is he interested in that? After running his own ship, does he want to come back and work for Belichick?
1: I don't know. But beyond that, the recycling thing, Greg, the the concern here would be, again, from anybody who's, uh, you know, and you've been critical of the drafts the last few years. Do you want somebody who's looking at things with with 2010 eyes, you know, as the game changes and uh, as player evaluations change and what, again, the issue here seems to be Belichick, at the end of the day, just having supreme faith in, I know what a good football player is. And you've said that before. That guy's a football player. I know it because I've done this my whole life. And now the question is whether or not he's wrong more often than he used to be because he's not recognizing how the game has changed or what exactly you need to be successful uh, You know, and, 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 and to draft impact players for wh- which they lack. If you bring in an old guy who did it the old way, is there a fear that you're going back to that? You're staying in that system instead of moving forward. Wouldn't it be better theoretically to bring in a younger voice or a newer voice or someone who can look at things a little bit different way and count counter bill i i i, I just don't know that people would be super satisfied with it with it with a with a recycled uh version of a person who's been here before or and or been out of the game for a little bit of time
2: yeah i mean i get that but i think that's more of a that's more of a sort of scheme type of thing? Like, do we want to evolve in certain areas, especially on defense where, you know, whatever we want to use, um, you know, we, we let's get back to three down guys instead of sure. just, you know, role players and things like that. And, and really it's at the end of the day, I mean, it doesn't really matter who they bring in, whether it's Scott Pioli or Thomas Dramitroff or it's Ziegler or Elliot Wolf, Bill's Like, it doesn't really matter because it's, it's Bill and it's, yeah whatever bill. And and the thing is, is, and and I think I talked about it with Nick. I did last, uh, last podcast. If people want to listen to it, um, there is enthusiasm within one Patriot place that Belichick does realize what's going on that he needs to change or at least alter his way. And, and part of that thinking was changing up some of the voices in the personnel department. And so as of right now, it seems like things are going in in the right direction. We'll just have to see how that goes.
1: Okay. The other um, domino that some people thought would fall after Casario took the Texans job was, Oh, well, Josh is going to follow him out the door. And you're saying, no, that's definitely not happening. However, there is a possibility. uh, If Ziegler were to land somewhere, McDaniels maybe could be attached to him. Uh, But you also (laughs) wrote about Denver. not Denver. You can cross that one up yeah. pretty quick. Uh, but you did write about that. Um, you know, it doesn't look like that's happening. He's not. It is so interesting for a guy like McDaniels, who is has been candidate one or two on so many coaching lists over the years. Yeah for this year to not even be listed among top five candidates at any of the vacancies. And, uh, you know, and, and, and your thought here is the indie thing is still following them around. That's That's a ghost that's not really going to go away. But also Patriots kind of down year certainly doesn't help that, though Matt Patricia did land a head coaching gig, uh, the year after the Patriots gave up seven thousand total yards in a Super Bowl, so uh, past performance doesn't always factor in. I have to think it's the indie thing more than yeah. more than anything that's that that's really kind of poisoning the well here for for. for I agree. Daniels. I mean,
2: and and the, it, it, there's a couple of things at play here. Um, number one, yeah, the indie thing. It's and, and and you know also the offensive performance, like you said, and and also part of the problem is with these coaching searches, especially. There's a lot of teams that uh like like say jacksonville or um i'm trying to think but uh mid D- detroit um houston just named a general manager but some of these places outside of the chargers they're also looking for general managers and so when you don't have general managers sort of running the the coaching search you have the owners and the owners look for flashy objects who's great with offense right now who's the hot name blah, blah, blah. And right now that's not McDaniels because of, you know, what, what went on with the Patriots? I mean, I just find it ridiculous that Jason Garrett gets an interview with the, with the Los Angeles chargers and Josh McDaniels hasn't yet. Now there's also the thought around the league that they're trying to hit on either guys. They just want to give cursory interviews to like Garrett, like favors the agents and also the assistants that are in the playoffs right now this is really the only time that they can talk to them they want to get those guys first in the building maybe mcdaniels would be part of the second wave also there's a thought that once general managers are, are are named and they have stronger voices they know who the smart guys are and the and the good candidates and that includes uh mcdaniels but there's no question that the indie thing uh is hanging over a lot of this and i understand that i mean to be brought to the altar to basically have your thinking that you have your coach for you know about a week or 10 days and and he's hiring coaches and then for him to go back that's tough i mean but i know uh, mcdaniel's has uh has explained it to people um and i think that he definitely deserves a chance i mean especially i mean the chargers job is just perfect for him and even you have uh, justin herbert who when asked after getting drafted uh or during the draft process like who's the coach that really stood out to you it was mcdaniels he right was his favorite coach that he talked to during the interview process and he he really liked him and like i just i just don't understand that
1: like yeah what's what's more important than making sure herbert is a, a elite level quarterback going forward to the franchise's success nothing so that alone should be worth an interview but it is It is interesting. That's not happening. Staying with the head coach thing. We had a report uh, thrown out there this week about Bill Belichick and uh, his compensation. And it's kind of gotten conversation going uh, that he's, you know, about what coaches are worth. Uh, And, and someone speculated, okay, well, you know, this guy could get this and that and, Was oh, well, Belichick makes way more than that, a north of 20 million, maybe as much as 25 million. It's always been this great secret about what Bill makes and the debate of, is he worth it? And certainly coming off a seven and nine year where they missed the playoffs in a string of drafts that haven't been successful, you might be able to criticize for the first time ever, Belichick, the GM and the coach as not living up to it. But every single year prior, it's really hard to make any sort of criticism that Bill hasn't earned every single dollar and then some and this is a Patriots homer I might argue that Belichick could be worth twice that in terms of his actual value to the team's success I I would imagine you could have put Belichick in any two win team situation this year the Jags or the Jets and they probably win six or seven or if you swapped out coaching staffs entirely and those teams win six or seven games and the Patriots coached by Anthony Lynn win one or two it's not ridiculous to think he's worth five wins a year what's Mm -hmm. that worth to you a lot so but it comes into the uh, the ego of the Tom Brady situation uh did Brady know Belichick was making more did that irk him did that lead to his departure so a lot of conversation flowing off of this one kind of innocuous uh you know thing thrown out there this week but your thoughts on what Belichick makes and whether or not it, it could possibly ruffle some feathers
2: yeah I I have no problem with what Belichick makes. Yeah. Uh, I totally agree with you. He could pay be paid double. I mean, if Roger Goodell is making 40 to 50 million dollars right. a year to operate the ATM machine, the NFL, yeah, then Belichick is worth 25, 30 million easy. Yeah. Um, so I totally agree with that. And I also think what's interesting, because uh, we talked about it on Felger and Maz and I remembered more later that there's an anecdote in Mike Lombardi's book that says uh, that in Cleveland, And remember, this was Belichick's, either he was going into his first season or coming out of his first season in in Cleveland when he was 6-10 and and never a head coach before, that he said about a left tackle, Paul Farron, who is from Cassett, by the way, uh, fun fact, um, and BU product, um, that Belichick said, I have a real problem with Paul Farron making more than me. And this is Bill Belichick, neophyte head coach. He's already thinking that way. Is it a stretch to think that after winning a Super Bowl or more Super Bowls that he wanted to be paid more than any other player on the team um, and maybe perhaps had that written in his contract? I do not rule that out, and I think it's probably, in my opinion, likely. I don't have a problem with any of that. I don't. My problem would be when it came to Brady, and I think it was after 2015 or twenty. It was one of the Ravens' losses. And he had that famous plane ride with Kraft. And Kraft said, look, uh, we're not going to pay 18 to 20% of our salary cap on a quarterback. Uh, So if you want to be here, you're going to have to take less. And Brady thought about it, and he said, okay, I'll do that. So, but if I'm Brady at the time, if I knew and I learned what Belichick made at some point in time, and he might have, uh, I would have an issue with that. That
1: here but I am. the coach doesn't count against the cap, though. Why should that matter? The, the the eighteen to twenty, the eighteen to twenty figure is because I need to be able to build the team around you, and I'm just not willing to go there. Belichick could make fi- Belichick could make you know fifteen dollars an hour, and they could still make that case. I, I don't know that one has anything to do with I the other outside of I, ego.
2: I know people will make that point. They'll say apples and oranges. I just dis- when you're talking about the quarterback, I just d- disagree with that. It's one thing to pay him less than Belichick. It's another thing to say. For us to be good as a team, you have to take less. Well, what can't? Why can't Belichick take less? I mean, if if you believe like I do that everything is part of the budget and they're they're a business, I'm sure Belichick gets a Belichick gets a budget before every season. This is your budget, coaches, players, what have you. Yeah. Why couldn't Belichick take it, less one year to put more towards yeah. players when the pay, Patriots are like if are there last, is a or budget, among the last though. place teams in cash spending for the past? eight years like why but couldn't that's, that's if
1: there is a budget though i mean there has to you, be i mean it's a business the crafts it, run businesses there has to is, be a budget. They, it is and i mean look it, it, it's hard to make an argument that there isn't a budget because they don't spend to the cap most years uh the, and they've been kind of middle of the pack team so there's always a little bit of money left over there and if that is part of the reason uh that they're not willing to to get there because they pay so much to Belichick, then, that, yeah, that would be a problem. Uh, but if they maxed out their cap and paid out as much as they could in salaries, I don't think it matters. Yeah, but I point. mean,
2: I get that. But my my main point is, like, look, if you're asking Tom Brady right. after being the quarterback for three Super Bowl wins, and it, it gets in the whole, you know, who was more? Like, you know, who, who weighed more? And I think we all have come down on they both needed each other. Yep. And so – they both should have been sort of partners in that. And that sure. includes pay. I mean, I, I that's just something I believe. I'm sure people will disagree with it. But, I mean, they didn't need to be paid the same. But there's no way that Brady, who was still in his prime, should be asked to take a pay cut to bail out, I don't know, maybe Belichick's personnel failings. And Bill Belichick gets to make $25 million a year. Like, I just, I don't think that's fair. I don't think Brady thought that kind of stuff was fair. And I think his salary definitely factored into the thing. I mean, he didn't make over 20 million in any se- season until his last season right. where basically he put a gun to their head and said, I'm not getting on a plane to Tennessee for this preseason game unless you pay me more money. So let's do it. So, you know, what have you.
1: Yeah. Right. So, that's the Belichick discussion. We do want to, we got to move along a little bit yep. uh, and get to our uh, Boston Sports Journal uh, question of the day. Um, so uh, first off, want to tell you, check out BSJ 11 cents a day is the annual plan. Not only do you get top-notch analysis of all Boston pro sports, if you're a Patriots junkie, uh, and you're listening to this podcast, which you are, uh, then a membership of BSJ gives you access to a ton of video analysis from Greg uh, on the coach's film, directs access to him in weekly chats. So again, uh the if you're watching here on video the link is on the screen uh go to that subscribe today and of course as always rate and review the podcast now question of the day this is GC in DC and it looks like it's a two-parter greg um or two questions so uh, what will Houston have to do uh to attract star coaching talent if Easterby is allowed to stay and again we talked about this a little bit that the Easterby situation is a weird one over there um and then does New England need a fresh perspective on scouting and player evaluation? We covered each of these a little bit earlier in the pod, but again, just your thoughts on uh, the Easterby situation and how it's kind of muddying the waters in Houston there for Casario.
2: Yeah, I just, I wanted to answer that question just because I, I think people are talking about it and I just wanted to get to it real quick that, um, you know, I, I think fans have a tendency to overrate a lot of things. And, and look, Nick Casario is not going to Houston. To take that job. He he's he's no idiot. Nick Nick is very smart. So I'm sure uh you know, from the people I've talked to, complete control over football operations is part of the deal with Casario there. So the coaches can say, Oh, well, what about Easterby? Whatever it, it doesn't matter. Nick can say, look, I'm I'm the guy in football ops. Nick Easterby has nothing to do with this. He's only gonna do character stuff. I'm the guy I'm hiring the coach and plus coaching talent. I mean, you know, they're going to go for Nick and then the rest of the coaching talent is all about the head coach. So they're not going to worry about um, Easter being plus look at the, at the end of the day, there's been a lot of crappy situations. I mean, you know, look at Al Davis at the end. There are only 32 head coaching jobs in the world uh, in professional football and uh, people take them. I mean, look at Brian Flores when he went down to Miami, that place was a dumpster fire. Um, the people just want head coaching jobs and they will take it. And as long as they think something of Nick Casario, which I'm sure they do because he has a sterling reputation around the league, he's going to be able to attract talent. And the as far as New England and the fresh pers- perspective, uh, we, you know, we talked about that. Um, you could say that do they need you could talk about need and what they need to do and should do and personnel and all that. And you could talk about till until you're blue in the face. It doesn't matter. It's bill Belichick. Like it's, it's all him. So it's whatever he thinks, whatever he wants to do. It, it's, it's, it's just a wasteful energy talking about it because it ain't going to happen because it's bill Belichick. It's his personnel department. He's going to run it. He's going to pick the players. He's going to run his schemes. And that's the end of it. So it doesn't really matter. Until he's out, there will be no fresh perspective. It's just Bill maybe hopefully altering his ways a little bit here and there to make them more effective.
1: Okay. And then – so you you don't think that, that – again, we did talk about it. Bill's ultimately making the call. What you want in there is just a guy that can kind of parry with him a little bit.
2: You would, li- you would like him to listen a little bit more, be a little bit – involved more and have a guy who's going to speak up and say no bill we need to do this like yeah. i understand you're hearing this this is you know i i, I prepared this to counter your argument and before we right. leave i do think we should tick through the playoff games real quick
1: yeah well and and anticipate you have to uh anticipate the Nikhil harry decision and have 12 counterpoints ready to yep. go for why not to take Nikhil harry yeah uh, so again this is going to be a lightning round here Uh, for uh, uh, betonline.ag, and I'm going to pull up the spreads here. We're going to rip through the playoff games here, and you said some big spreads. Let's start with uh, the AFC East representative in the playoffs, Bills minus six over the Colts.
2: Yeah, I think this is the toughest draw that the Bills could have gotten. They're very good on defense. Uh, Are they good enough to – I mean, basically you need to play the, the Bills like the Patriots have, which is you need to take care of Stephon Diggs and you need to take care of uh, Cole Beasley on third downs. Now, Beasley's dealing with an injury. That could be a factor. Um, I think this is going to be a really tough game for the Col- uh, for the Bills. I, You know, I don't even know if they win this game. I think it's the type of – if they win this game, they could go to the Super Bowl. It's either boom or bust. Either right. they lose this game or they go to the Super Bowl. One or the other. I don't know where – you know, I'm not the biggest bandwagon guy on Josh Allen. I still think – a team like the Colts could really uh, press him and be an issue, but I'm gonna I'm gonna take the Colts and the points in this one. Bills might squeak it out, but I think it's gonna be a tough grinded out game.
1: All right, let's stay in the AFC. We're moving over to Sunday's slate of games. Baltimore, Tennessee, Ravens favored by three rematch. and a half.
2: Yeah, rematch. Um rematch here. I think I think I think people are sleeping on the Ravens. I think they they had that stretch where they lost four or five and they, people kind of put them on the back burner and didn't really pay attention they weren't on national television very much, but I think they kind of figured some things out and I think I think they went through a lull at the right time I think they're peaking at the right time I think Lamar Jackson gets his first playoff victory they might win this game going away Baltimore's number one on the ground Tennessee's number one in rushing uh, that should be a really good matchup but I think I think Lamar's figured some things out. And I think the Ravens win that game.
1: Okay, Browns Steelers. Uh, we've got uh, Steelers by six. These teams just faced off last week in a game that Pittsburgh played no one, and it was way closer than it probably should have been.
2: Yeah. Now, now you have the Browns with their COVID. And the Browns situation. have all their
1: COVID situations. Who the
2: hell knows at this point? But I'm no going. Coach. Yeah. I guess I'm going to I'm going to believe in the Steelers and what they did in the second half last week, and the Browns just being. uh you know in a yeah in a tough shape so I'm gonna go you know Steelers I'm gonna I'm gonna take the points
1: okay NFC let's start with our man Tom eight and a half uh against the WFT uh on the road
2: that's a lot of points for me I mean look I know Washington's not great and who knows what they're gonna be doing at quarterback they're talking about playing two or three or whatever and and but uh, you know, Tom Brady, a lot like Josh Allen this year, has not been pressured a lot in the second half of the season. And and if he's comfortable, he'll beat anybody and they'll win going away. But if Washington can get pressure on Brady, if they can hit him early and get him <laughs> a little bit sped up, Mike Evans is hurt, they have some other mm-hmm. injuries. I think this is going to be a struggle, and
1: I like Washington to cover the points. Yeah. And again, cover the points is one thing if you like it. If you're looking for that upset. Uh, and you think it's possible on the money line here, 335. It's an interesting, uh yep. interesting bet there if you're looking for some value. Um, let's go Bears. Actually, let's stay with, let's go back to Saturday. Stay with the Saturday slate here. Uh, Rams and Seahawks playing at 440 on Saturday. Uh we've well, yeah, got Rams the Rams, are- the Seahawks, three and a half
2: yeah the Rams are another team that I think people are sleeping on, and I wasn't a big fan of them early on in the season. basically the they they only beat the NFC East early, but they've been playing good ball and I've been impressed with mcVeigh. Uh, again, it's another pressure thing within you know, the Seahawks have been playing better defense their their offense has been struggling, right You're basically if you take the Seahawks in this, you believe in Russell Wilson more than Jared Goff, which I totally understand because I do. but I don't know. I got I the Rams are sort of my underdog of the NFC where, where I could see them going on a run like the, like the Ravens and so uh I'm gonna take the I'm gonna take the underdog Rams in this one
1: they could go on a run or they could score six points in in, 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 yep. in one game it's a it's a tough team to figure out um Sunday's NFC game is the last game on our slate uh this is the biggest biggest point spread out there Saints 10 and a half. 10 and a half over the bears uh bears plus 395 on the money line here
2: yeah that that is a lot of points and and we've seen how shaky the saints can be in the postseason and you know michael thomas apparently is at full health hasn't played in forever like i he's great but i him being plug and play and all of a sudden them being high powered uh i have a I have a tough time seeing that. Um, you know, the Bears have been playing really well of late. They're good on defense. I think they definitely keep this one close. And and the Saints might, who knows, they could choke this game away the way they, they do things in the postseason.
1: Yeah. And, uh, the Alvin Kamara situation also, um, right now, they expect him back? Is that what we're looking at? Uh, I think so, Yeah. Yeah eligible to return he's eligible to return off the covid list might not practice probably going to play is uh, is what we're looking at there so um okay well that will wrap up uh this uh week's slate of games it's a fun weekend um strange for the patriots not to be a part of it uh six games all day saturday all day sunday with the added round and only that one bye so it is a there's a lot of football coming up this weekend We'll talk about the games um, when Nick is back. I'm sure you guys will wrap up uh, the weekend uh, on your next podcast next week. Um, But until then, as we said, rate, review, subscribe, do all of that. The Greg Bedard Patriots podcast, of course, betonline.ag, our sponsor. Uh, Jump on there. CLNS 50, use the code 50% off your initial deposit tons of action this weekend it's a good time to get in the mix for greg bedard i'm john zanis filling in for nick cattles we will see you guys next week